0: On down to big you were made for something great. Well, good morning, Hamilton Mill. Yeah, good to see you guys. <laughs> I told Colleen before he came over. I said it's been over a year since I've been at this campus. Since COVID hit, and uh, my brother, you know, my brother Randy, he's my brother, half brother actually, uh, who pastors here, he and Sherry, I said to them, I said, now, from now on, going forward, now that we're no longer the senior pastors of victory, we're gonna come up here a little bit more often. Is that all right? We're gonna see you guys. I, 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 you know, it's hard getting used to looking at people through their masks and uh, trying to figure out who are you. I, all I know is all I can see is your eyes, but I know I married some of you and I know that I've uh, baptized some of your babies and stuff. So at the end of the service, if it's not raining out there, we're gonna be out there trying to say hello to people. Amen. So we just, if you're a first time visitor, please come and greet us as well. Cause I know some of you don't have no clue who I am and you could care less who I am. So, <laughs> uh, but we're in this series and I love this series uh, about hearing God kind of leading up to uh, the great culmination, which we call Easter next weekend, is going to be a big weekend, and it, it brings back a lot of memories for me uh, in in the Easter season because about forty years ago, two weeks after Easter, forty years ago is when I gave my heart to Christ, and I had this—I uh, uh, don't know—best I can describe it biblically as a Damascus Road experience where I'm driving down the interstate eighty-five. I'm somewhere between uh, sh- somewhere around Charlotte, North Carolina. And I have a visitation. I have a visitation of God and it was the first time it ever happened to me where God spoke to me. He spoke directly to me and challenged me in my life. At that time, uh, if you had known me back then, I would have been voted the least likely person to come to Christ in your group of people. Uh, I, I grew up in the South. I was a party-hardy kind of guy. Everything you can think of that's bad, I did it before I was 22 and went to... God's College, the University of Georgia, and which exasperated my sin, it just made it even worse. And uh, so when I got out of college, I was, all my friends, everyone I knew would have looked at me and never thought this guy is gonna end up being a pastor of a church, just the, the least likely person. But how many of you know that when God intervenes in our lives and he speaks to our lives, it can completely reroute your life, completely derail what you think you're going to do. So anyway, I, I get a visitation, I give my heart to Christ, and um, I stop in this town of Richmond, Virginia, to see a friend of mine on my way home. I'm really excited about my relationship with Christ, again, it's two weeks after Easter, and this guy launches into this prophetic word from the Lord, and he says, you're going to pastor a great church, you're going to go through a lot of adversity, you're going to have an ma- amazing wife, all these kind of things, and I'm listening to this, I'm 23 years old, I'm listening to all this, at 23, brand new Christian, and I'm thinking, There is no way that's going to happen. But I didn't realize at that moment that God was speaking. He was speaking to me prophetically through this guy. And everything that he said, which is amazing, 40 years later you look back on it, everything he said came to pass, everything. When that happened to me, uh, as I started this walk with God, I began to realize that hearing the voice of God it's one of the most critical things in a Christian's life that if they're gonna navigate the troubles of this world, the challenges of this world, they're gonna make good decisions, they're gonna marry the right person, if they're gonna handle money well, if they're gonna do what God put them on this earth to do, they're gonna to have to at some point start hearing God's voice. So I started this journey early on, very early on, trying to f- figure out how to hear God's voice. And the other day, I was, uh, about three weeks ago, I was praying and I was reading a devotion. I have this devotion that I, I read every day. And in this devotion, it talked about two words that describe God. It talked about the transcendence of God and it talked about the imminence of God. Now, I don't know if you know what that means. I didn't know what it meant, I I really didn't. I I mean, I remembered studying it years and years ago in Bible school, but I'd forgotten what the transcendence of God and the imminence of God meant, so I looked it up, and and, uh, let me just give you the brief definition so you'll understand what I'm talking about. The transcendence of God means that God exists apart from, and is not subject to, the limitations of the material universe. He is above and beyond, surpassing and excelling, greatly superior to us, in other words, And this is something, I don't know if you ever think this way, but this is just how I think. God is big, vast, superior to anything I can think of in the earth. God is the creator of all things. He's not only the creator of the earth and the things in it and rules over it, but he's literally the creator of the universe that we live in or universes that we live in. In other words, this vast God, he is so hard to wrap our heads, our thinking brain around how incredibly big, massive he is. And so many times when we go through life and we have a problem in life, we forget that. (laughs) We forget how big God is. We forget how great he is. And the problem we have is a great big problem and God is a little bitty God that can't solve that issue. But I I got good news for you. Your God is bigger than any problem you will ever have in your life or the future of your life, all right? That's the vastness of God. Now, what's, what's staggering to me about this God, this God that we serve, this God that down through the centuries, history has proven out, down through the centuries, some of the greatest thinkers, scientists, politicians, rulers, have come to the place where they have all acknowledged that the order of creation had to have come from a creator, this God. The the vastness of God also has an eminence about him. And the eminence simply means that God wants to be close to us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to be our friend. So to think of that, each day, when you get up each day, that this incredible God, the creator of all things, has this capability, has this value for you as an individual that is so personal that he wants to be up close to you. He wants to talk to you each morning, each day, throughout the day. He wants to have a dialogue with you. He wants to help you navigate this life. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around that but that every day you have the opportunity to get up in the morning and actually have a conversation with the creator. And he, listen to this, talks back. He talks back. Now, I know some of you are looking at me like, I don't, I don't have that kind of relationship. I, I don't have that kind of com- connection with God. Uh, you might have that, but I don't have that. And maybe that's only for certain people or special people. And, and let me just kind of diffuse all that. It's not for certain people and it's not for special people. It's for you. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you personally every single day. But there is a part of you sometimes that doesn't want that, that resists that, because you're maybe sometimes concerned what he might say. He might say something to you that you don't want to do. He might say something to you that you don't want to hear. He might say something to you that you just don't want to obey. And so many times, Christians, Christians, followers of Christ, never really tap into this incredible voice of God and they miss this unbelievable opportunity. All right, so people have asked me, because I've pastored here for 30 years, 30 plus years, Start we started the church six years ago. Hamilton Mill is a, is a byproduct of starting Victory that started you know, 15 years ago. And all of these campuses and all the people are all connected to people hearing the voice of God. But It started with two people, Colleen and I, 31 years ago, hearing God say to us, actually 32 years ago, hearing God say to us, as we were riding down uh, Interstate 285, coming down on Spaghetti Junction onto 85, God spoke to us and said, I want you to plant a church here in the Norcross area. And He said, it's going to be a very unique church, a church of many different nationalities, a church that's going to reach the world, and it had all these different features to it. And we're riding down and we're in Bible school at the time and it was hard for us to hear it. And, and it was hard for us to believe it because at that time, Gwinnett County was 90% middle white America. It was, it was as white Republican as, it could, as you could ever imagine a county could be, had been Republican in entire entirety of our state. It was run by the good old white boys of the South. This was Gwinnett County in 1989. So to think that Gwinnett County would be converted over the next 30 years to the second most multicultural county in the United States of America, to think that people would come here from all over the world after 1996 and the Olympics brought attention to Atlanta, and for some reason they chose Gwinnett County as the county to move to, and all the good old white boys like myself would move out. And we moved farther north so that all these other people would come into this county and it would, trans, it, would, it would completely turn over until this time in this past election cycle for the first time in the history of my life, it moved from a Republican county to a Democrat county. And it changed completely politically. I don't, don't clap for that. I, we're not clapping for Republicans or Democrats in this church, all right? God is not a Republican and God is not a Democrat. Okay, just so you understand that we are not pushing one agenda over the other we push the values of the bible and sometimes it offends both sides you all understand that jesus is not uh, an american jesus does not have american nationalism jesus doesn't wake up and salute the red white and blue did y'all understand that did you say you understand that he he is not a fox news junkie or an msnbc junkie he is you understand what i'm saying he's a little higher a little greater a little bigger than what we lower ourselves down to. So I'm saying all that because uh, sometimes when we get up here in the county of the northern part of the county, it gets real political up here. And uh, I like to just sort of diffuse that before we even get started, amen? amen? We're not talking about any of that. So here we are, we're hearing this voice saying, you're gonna start this church. And people have asked me down through the age, how did you hear that? How did you hear that? So I'm gonna tell you four things that we had in place at that point in our life, four things that if you start to put these principles in your life, now here's what excites me, this, this really excites me. If you, if you take the four things I'm gonna share with you this morning and you actually do them, you actually apply them in your life, you start tomorrow morning, okay, these four things, I'm gonna start this, this, these four things. If you put these four things in your life, tomorrow morning, listen to me carefully, even today if you can put them in your life today, you're gonna start hearing God's voice. And, and you're not gonna just barely hear it. You're gonna hear it really clear. You're gonna hear it really clear. I don't, I don't have a barely hearing God in my life. I hear God really clearly. I hear him daily, usually about hourly. And it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic relationship. I love having this relationship with God. I don't always like what he says, but I like the fact that I can hear him. And the reason I can hear him is because somewhere in my journey 40 years ago, I started putting these four principles in place. And these principles are what turned the voice of God on in your life. All right, the first one. You ready for the first one? First one is you have to make God your highest priority and pursuit. Your highest priority and your highest pursuit. Now, <clears throat> having been a Christian for almost 40 years, what I've discovered just observing the Christian world that I've lived in I can almost break Christianity down into two categories of people, and it's kind of simple. I mean, there's many multi layers of this, but two categories. And the largest category is this, is people who have their life, have everything going in their life, and they add God onto their life. They add Christ onto their life. He's an addition. So in other words, I'm, I'm going to choose my path. I'm going to choose my spouse. I'm going to choose my way. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then... I'm going to bring God along for the ride. He's going to be with me. He's my my homeboy. He's my partner in life. He's the one I cry to when I'm sad. He's the one I talk to when I'm I'm having a difficult time. I I call on him when I need him, but my life life is my own, and he's an addition to my life. And by the way, anything that's an addition to your life can easily become a subtraction from your life. Then there's the other level of Christianity where, where basically my this relationship with God is my life. Everything about my life is about God. It's about God. It's wrapped up in God's will for my life, God's pursuit for my life. My relationship with God is my highest priority and my highest pursuit. So When you change, when you shift from God being an addition to your life to your highest priority and pursuit, what it looks like is that God is first in everything. He's first. He's your highest priority. Whatever is first in your life is your highest priority. And when you read the Bible, it's very clear all the way from the beginning to the end that there is this constant reminder from God to us that he wants to be first. And the reason he wants to be first is because he knows if he's not first, then you're going to make a big mess out of your life. If you're choosing to add him to your life, you're gonna make your own calls, your own decisions, your own choices. You're gonna mess up really bad. So... He says, I want you to learn the principle of first, the highest priority. And here's what he wants. He wants your first time. He wants your first talent. And he wants your first treasure. He wants your first time, your first talent, your first treasure. I don't have time to talk about all that, but I will just nail down on the one thing, your first time. When you got up this morning, when you got up this morning, what got your first time? What got your first time? Was it your devotional life with God or was it a person or was it reading something or was it listening to something or was it dressing yourself? What's your first? And a lot of people say, well, I'm not a morning person. I don't like to get up early in the morning. So I have my time with God at night. Well, let me just say this to that. Jesus got up early in the morning. Now, Jesus is God, by the way got up early in the morning before everyone else, and he went out into a deserted place to pray and give his first attention to God because he knew that if his day was going to go God's way, he had to establish it in prayer before it got going. Otherwise, he was going to spend his life like everybody else reacting to what the devil created for his life instead of responding to God and creating his own life through prayer. When you pray at the end of the day, the day has already happened. It's already had time to sink in and have its way with you. When you start at the beginning of the day, then that's when things begin to set in motion, the priorities of God in your life versus your choices and your will, amen? All right, so it, it starts with making him first. So every morning, this is what happens. I get up in the morning, this is what I do. I get up in the morning, I go into the kitchen, I'm usually up about four thirty, five o'clock. I get up early, and by the way, if you say I can't get up that early, yes, you can. But the way to do that is you have to go to bed early. <laughs> Amen. So, so if you go to bed at nine o'clock, you'll get up at four thirty, five o'clock. And so you get up, and I get up. I go in, turn on the cappuccino maker. I am. I'm not a person who who can go without coffee. I need coffee. I like coffee. It's one of my vices. I, I probably have an addiction to coffee, I don't know. But I, I just love the feel, when I drink that cup of cappuccino in the morning, about halfway through that cup when the caffeine kick come on, you know what I'm talking, about? the caffeine just kicks in and your eyes open, the day gets bright, life opens up. You now have a clear mind for just, you know what I'm talking about? That is the time, that is the time to be reading the Bible. Not when you're going to bed at night, like this. All right, so I get up, make the coffee, go sit in my chair, turn on, I usually turn on the fireplace in the winter time, turn on the fireplace, sit in my chair, and I start reading the Bible. I'll read the Bible, sometimes it'll be 20, 30 minutes, sometimes it'll be 15 minutes, sometimes it'll be an hour. It just depends on what I'm reading and what I feel like the Lord's saying to me that day. And then I'll pray. Now, when I pray and I'm first thing in the morning, I have not had anything in the world feeding into me. I haven't watched the news, I haven't listened to music, I haven't done anything like that. So now I'm quiet and now I go into the second phase of hearing God and that's learning to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Learning to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's a little plaque we have in our kitchen And it's a scripture out of the book of Psalms. It says, be still and know that I am God. And it's it's a reminder, I think my wife put it there to remind me, because I'm not a still person, to remind me that there is a portion of your life that has to learn how to be still. If you're gonna hear God, you're gonna have to be still. And here's the reason why. Right now, you and I have been conditioned by our life, in our life, to listen to a lot of different voices. We started off listening to our parents' voice, and then somewhere along the journey, usually about middle school, we trade our parents' voice for our friends' voice. It's amazing, isn't it amazing to watch your middle school students? You are a parent, you've gone through life, but suddenly a 12-year-old knows more than you do, and they have all kinds of reasons why that you don't know anything and they know everything. And so you start listening to your friends' voices, and if you listen to them, the wrong, the wrong friends, you'll do some pretty stupid things. Then you're also listening to your teacher's voice, teaching you, educating you, your education voice. You're listening to your career voice, whatever voice that is. You're listening to the media voice that's feeding you daily garbage and you're listening to it, and then you're listening to social media voice, you're listening to people's opinions voice, you're listening to your physical body's voice, you're listening to your human reasoning voice, you're listening to all kinds, circumstantial voices, all kinds of voices, and you get this place, and this is why people go crazy. This is when people go crazy, and that's why they say, I'm hearing voices in my head, because they don't know how to still those voices. And those voices will absolutely mess you up until you learn how to turn those voices down and turn up the voice of the Holy Spirit. All right? So, I'm I'm trying to learn how to do this, and I'm reading the Bible, and I come across this scripture in the book of John where Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. Now, Now, check this out. Jesus... This is so cool. Jesus, you know, just a a few months ahead of time, getting ready to go to the cross, actually just a few weeks ahead of time, he's sharing with his disciples his last will and testament, his last few important words. The book of John and the beginning of the book of Acts are really strong recordings of these words where he's sharing sort of these last words of advice and last words of counsel because he's about to die on a cross and he's about to go into this place where he takes all of our sins upon himself, bears them, and then deals with them, so he, we, would no longer have to be, we would no longer be held accountable if we received him as our Lord and Savior for our sins. And then he's, he, he's gonna raise from the dead, and then he's gonna ascend into heaven and leave us. He's gonna leave us physically on the earth. But he says, I'm not gonna leave you orphanly. I'm not gonna leave you like an orphan. I'm gonna leave you a helper. Everybody say helper. I'm gonna leave you a helper and you're gonna learn how to depend on him and he's a person but he doesn't have a physical body. This is hard for our minds. He's a person but he doesn't have a physical body and his name is the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna leave him and he is going to do some, he's gonna to start to speak to you and he's gonna start guiding you. All right, so let's look at this verse of scripture. In John chapter 16, this is what he says. He says in verse 12, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you're, you can't bear it now. You're not ready to hear it all right now. So when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he, a person, will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard, and he will tell you about the future. In other words, he's going to show you things to come. He's going to tell you what's coming in your life. Now, what I didn't know, what I didn't know as an early Christian, but this is something that I want to help you know, this is so important for you to know, is the most important relationship that you have before you're saved is this relationship you develop with Jesus, the person of Jesus. You have to know Jesus before you know anything else about God. You have to know Jesus. Jesus is the most important message to a lost and dying world. But once you get saved, once you give your heart to Jesus, the most important message and person that you need to know is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Everything that you hear God say is through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity that is here on the earth And not only is he here on the earth, but when you receive Christ, he comes to live inside of you. So when you give your heart to Jesus, you receive the person of the Holy Spirit, the power, the presence, all the things that God represents living on the inside of you. You are not God, but God lives in you. He's not just over there somewhere in another place. He's living in you. So you have the person of God living in you, ready to speak to you and guide you from within. Are you following me? And he wants to guide you. And he speaks to you two ways, primarily two ways, through an inward witness and through an inward voice. An inward witness means that he bears witness with something you're asking him and he bears witness with something that you think you ought to do. He bears witness and says, it's okay. It it, it feels good. It's the right thing to do. This is the right person to, to date. This is the right person to hang out with. This is the right job. It bears witness. But the inward voice is where God literally speaks from within to you and he shows you what to do. He gives you direction that's why Paul would write over in the book of Romans that whoever is a child of God is led by the Spirit of God. You're led by the Holy Spirit. So for the rest of your life, and this is what you've got to understand as a, as a follower of Christ, for the rest of your life, the number one voice that you're, t- you're tapping into is not your your that parent's voice or your teacher's voice or your friend's voice or the media voice or whatever. The number one voice is the voice of the Holy Spirit and I've got to listen to that voice. I've got to listen to that voice if I want to know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Now, here's the cool thing about God. Before you were ever born, God knew you. He knew you. You were planned by God Before you were ever conceived, this is hard to imagine, but God had a plan and a purpose for your life. You didn't know it because you're, you're, you know, you didn't have, you didn't have anything to say about it. You were born and somewhere along the way, you may have discovered that God is real and you believe in him and you want to serve him. But now you've got to learn how to put all these other voices on the sideline so that you can hear the voice of God. Because if you listen to all these other voices, sometimes they will tell you things that don't agree with God's voice. Are you following me? So I've got to hear God's voice. All right, so this is how it worked with me. I'm praying one day. I'm just a brand new Christian. I'm praying one day. I'm sitting at my table, at my breakfast table, having uh, uh, Honey Nut Cheerios. And I'm just sitting there eating cereal. I'm 23 years old. I'm a brand new business owner. I've owned a business for about a year co-business owner with my father, and we're really doing well. And I'm living in northern New Jersey. Everything's going well. I had moved up there to, to, to start this business. And I hear God say very clearly, Dennis, I want you to sell your business, and I want you to move to Richmond, Virginia, and help this little church that you visited one time when you were in there. I want you to help this little church get started, and I'll show you what's next after you do that. For whatever reason, and I'm thanking God that I was this way when I was 23, for whatever reason, I knew if I don't obey right now, if I don't start this journey right now, I'll let the devil talk me out of this. So I immediately got up from the table, went into the living room where my father was, and I said, Dad, I know this is gonna sound crazy and I I don't want you to freak out, but I, I, I think I'm supposed to sell this business back to you and I'm gonna move to Richmond, Virginia and I'm gonna help this uh, little church get started. Now, my dad was not a Christian, and I thought, fully expected him to get upset and mad, and he said, Dennis, he said, you just gotta do what you gotta do. And I remember just thinking, well, that's pretty simple. Just do what you gotta do. So I sold the business, and a few weeks later, I moved to Richmond, Virginia, about a few months later, I moved to Richmond, Virginia, and started my life over again. Now, I think back about that one decision And that decision led me to the next decision, which is shortly after that, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, while I'm wrapping up my business, and I meet this young woman who comes up to my my table where I was selling and starts dialoguing with me, and I knew she was kind of like hitting on me. (laughs) She was. She was kind of going after me. And I was like... And what was interesting is I was sitting there talking to another girl who I had been dating, who was a Clinique girl. She worked at the Clinique counter. And I was, you know, I was, I'd been dating her, so I was talking to her, and this girl just comes walking right up as I'm talking to the other girl and just interjects herself into this conversation. Well, she later told me, she said, I knew that the Clinique girl was going to have to go back to her counter pretty soon, so I, my strategy was just to wait her out. And she did. And so I just invited her to lunch. We went to lunch, and then afterwards I said, do you wanna go see a movie tonight? And we went to see this movie called Chariots of Fire, our first date. While we're watching this movie, if you've ever seen the movie, it has a Christian theme to it, and there's a scene in it where God's talking to this runner about I can't run on Sunday because it's the Sabbath and all this. And it convicts me, and after the movie was over with, we end up having this conversation about God. Turns out she was Catholic, but she did not understand being born again, she didn't understand any of those kind of things, and so I led her to the Lord, to a born again experience on our first date. On our first date. Now, what I didn't know was, I was leading my wife to the Lord. I didn't know that, till I got back to New Jersey, and I, I had already made this decision to move to Richmond, and I hear the second time in my life, I hear the voice of God saying, that girl you met in Pittsburgh, She's the one. She's the one. You're gonna marry her at some point. Don't tell her yet, because she'll, she'll flip out if you tell her too soon. But she's the one. You need to pursue her. Now listen, single folks, listen, especially guys, listen up, listen up. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to a woman, he, she that finds a husband finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. There's nowhere in the Bible where it tells a wife to go out looking for a husband. (laughs) Y'all all all right out there in your dating apps? (laughs) Y'all all all right? Y'all okay? It says to the man, just so so you understand, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. God always set it up for the man to be the pursuer and the woman to be the pursuee. Are you following me? Now it's kind of reverse roles. Now you see women pursuing men. And, and, and men are running, run, running hard. <laughs> Most men don't like to be pursued. Because they were created to be the pursuer, but because men have been so, so they've been so convoluted in the way they think, they don't understand the value of that. But the Lord said to me, He said, You need to pursue that girl even though she lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you live in New Jersey, you're moving to Richmond, a man who finds a wife, finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord, you will figure it out. And let me just say this, ladies. When God speaks to a man that you're the one, he will figure it out. He will figure it out. And if he hadn't figured it out in two or three years, you need to figure it out. This is probably not the one. Y'all all right out there? So I called her up, I said, come on, I need you to come up here, I need, I need to get to know you. And so I flew her up, we got to know each other, long story short, yada, 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 a year later, we are married. We got married and now we've been married in April 38 years. We'll be married 38 years. Those two moments of hearing God, sell your business, move to Richmond, this is the girl you're marry. listen to me carefully, set us both up to start victory, to start victory. In other words, none of us would be sitting here, not in this room, not in this campus, because it wouldn't have been built if somebody decided, I don't want to listen to that voice. And what the Lord showed me is listening to the voice of God has sequential effects on thousands of people. And what the Lord also showed me is that God wants to say things to each one of us that has those sequential effects on thousands of people. Don't you ever think for one moment that God couldn't use you to do something significant with your life if you would just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Which brings me to the third equation. You have to balance what you hear with the word of God. And here's what This is a tweet right here, if you, have, if you wanna tweet this. God never says something that would disagree with what he's already said. In other words, when people come up to me, God said this, and God told me this, and God told me, I've had people come up to me, even in this COVID season, God told me this about the future. God told me Donald Trump's going to be the next president of the United States, no matter what the world's saying, God's, and the, the prophets are saying, blah, blah, blah. And I said, really? God told you that? And I said, well, you know what? I'm not sure about that. And the reason I'm not sure about that is because I think a lot of what you think God is saying is what the newscast is saying or what people around you are saying or what you want God to say instead of what God is actually saying. So let's measure everything based on the word. So when people come up and say, God told me this or God told me that, I say, what do you have in scripture to support what you say? What do you have in scripture to support what you're saying God said. I've had people come up and say, well, I left Victory because they make you wear masks at Victory. God told me to leave because they make you wear a mask. I said, God told you to leave the church because they make you wear a mask. Really? So God's sitting up in heaven, he's got nothing better to do with all the millions of people that are dying and, uh, uh, around the world, starvation, all these other. Let me speak to Joe over there and tell him he needs to get out of that church because they're making him wear a mask. Y'all all right out there? A lot of people blame a lot of stuff on God told me, which God hadn't even said a word to them about it. They just confuse their feelings with God. You gotta measure it by the word. What does the word say? What does the Bible say? If God's speaking, it will always agree with the word. And the problem is we don't know what God's saying because sometimes we don't know what the word says. So before you just start jumping off and doing whatever you think God's saying, What do you have scripture to support what you're doing? And then finally, the number four thing, you gotta learn to act on what you hear. You gotta act on what you hear. Now, there's a scripture that became one of my life scriptures. In fact, it was the first scripture that just jumped off the Bible to me when I was a young Christian, and it's been my life scripture ever since. James chapter one in verse 22. And let me just kind of, Read this, and then we'll go, and I'll, I'll explain it to you. Here's what it says. But don't just listen to God's word. Don't just hear it. But you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. All right, so let me just kind of share this so you'll understand, because some of you are new to victory, you, you, you're kind of learning the ways of victory, you're learning what the church is about. I think it's important for you to understand the, the context of this church f- from this particular verse of scripture, obey. So we are, Colleen and I are in our early 30s, just graduating, just about to graduate from Bible college, gonna move to Atlanta, God spoke to us to start a church. We're driving on 285, coming down on 85 into Gwinnett County when God says to us, I want you to plant a church in this part of the city, and there's four things, there's four things that I want you to do in this church. So I hadn't heard the four things yet, so we went home, we went back home, to. we were living in Tulsa at the time, Tulsa, Oklahoma and we've got a map of the state of Georgia, or the city of Atlanta, actually, and we put a star on the map where God spoke to us, and our church, our main body church, the big, the big church, Norcross Church, is literally one mile from that star. It's one mile from that star. Now, what are the chances, what are the chances, first of all, of finding 33 acres of land that close up to 285 and 85 still available to buy at that point? and put a church right where God said that you're gonna start a church. You understand how specific and clear that that direction was, how prophetic that was. So then, I'm sitting on my back porch and I'm trying to get the vision for the church and I'm asking God, speak to me by the Holy Spirit. And God takes me to the scripture in Acts chapter one, verse eight, and he says, these are the last words Jesus said, these are the last words that I spoke before I ascended into heaven. This is, in essence, my last command to the church is Acts chapter one, verse eight. So if there's any scripture in the Bible that you need to get down and get the revelation of, it's Acts chapter one, verse eight. And here's what he says. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be a witness of me or a reflection of me or a salt light of me, or a representative of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And I'm reading the scripture, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to digest it, and I say, okay, Lord, help me, because I don't live in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I said, I, I live in Atlanta. I live in Atlanta now. So I need, a, I need to understand this in the context. And he said, that, that word, in context was to the people that were living in that part of the world when I spoke it. He said, it's, a, it's not a specific place, it's an outline of life. And, and he says, it's, it's a template. I'm speaking in a template. It's not Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. In other words, we're only to focus on those four areas. He said, that's a template for the church. It's a template for the church. And then I hear the Lord say this to me. He said, what are the things in your heart that you are burned about, that are wholly discontent inside of you? And this is how, by the way, this is a sidebar, but this is how to get a vision from God. People wanna know, how do you get a vision from God? You first ask yourself, what's, what's eating at me? What's bothering me? What, what is something that's happening in the world that really bothers me that I wanna see change. This is how people make a difference in life. And this is why some people make a difference in life and other people don't because a lot of people never ask that question. So I'm asking that question and the first thing I said, the thing that really bothers me is the state of the family in my nation. I come from a broken home, my family, my father divorced my mother, he abandoned our family. I grew up with a single mom for several years. Before my mother remarried, I said, it was brokenness, it was destruction. I see it all around me. When I think of societal problems, when I think of all the societal problems in every, every place I go, it's rooted in the family. It's the condition of the family, the brokenness of family. The attack on family, the whole idea of attacking the nuclear concept of family, a man and a woman being married, having children, is completely being destroyed in society. And I said, this is a burden for me. And he said, that's your Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your home. And then he said, what else bothers you? I said, well, the second thing that bothers me is I'm tired of driving through cities like Atlanta and other cities where I see hundreds of churches sitting on corners of streets and not having any impact in the community that's around it. It's a place people drive to on Sunday morning for one hour or an hour and a half, and then they go home, and nothing is affected in the community by that church. And if that church goes out of business, it will be as if it never existed. He said, church is not a place you drive to, it's a life you live. It's not a location, it's a lifestyle. The building is simply a training place to train people to go out and do the work of the ministry. This is not a place we come to get our jollies on on Sunday morning. This is a place we come to worship God, get trained, and then go out into this lost and dying and hurt world and make a difference in it so that when we die, we made a difference. So when people are talking about us at a funeral, they don't have to figure out something to say about us. They have a lot to say about us. And the people at the back of the room care as much about us as the people at the front of the room. And I said, Lord, what do you mean? He says, your Judea is the community around you. Every hurting place, every broken place, you have to raise up a mighty army of people to impact those places. You have to change the community, transform it. Then he said, what else bothers you? I said, you know what bothers me, God? As I grew up in a South where it was segregated, our schools were segregated, they finally integrated them, and instead of watching blacks and whites come together, all they did was go out and create Christian schools where whites could leave the black areas and go to Christian schools in churches so they didn't have to go to school with black kids anymore, and it just became more segregated again. He said, almost every Christian school in the South was started because of race. What? Almost everyone was started because they didn't want their ha- kids to have to go to school with kids of another race. And he said, because of that, you have a society in the South that is so, has such racism institutionalized in the heart of the people that they don't even know it. They go to church, they don't even know it exists because they think that it's not a part. I'm not racist. I'm not racist. But then as soon as somebody from another race gets involved in their life that they don't like, they start to form an opinion based on their race. And he said, you're called to reach across the barrier and bring other cultures into a church so that they worship together because the church is supposed to be the most integrated hour, not the most segregated hour in America. You've got to go against that. Martin Luther King said, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. We're calling ourselves Christians, but we still segregate according to culture. And he said, it takes Christian reality of saying rise above it. The kingdom culture is above my earthly culture. The kingdom culture is what joins us together. Our earthly culture is what divides us. And God needs to see churches racially reconciled. That is your Samaria. Samaritans were the arch enemy, the other race. He said, you're supposed to cross the barrier and bring people together to demonstrate to a lost and dying world how Christ can completely deliver you from racism. And then he said, the uttermost parts of the world, he said, that is all over the world, world missions. He said, the reason, have you ever asked yourself this question, why were you born here? Or why do you live here? How did you make it? Did you get a lottery ticket to get into this country? How did you get in this country and live the life you live, where you literally, if you, listen, if you make $50,000 a year or more, you're in the top 1% of the world economically. Now you think, well, 50,000 doesn't go very far. Let me take you to the third world and I'll show you how far it goes. I'll show you how far it goes when people live on a dollar a day. Are you following me? You are the most blessed people in the whole world being able to live in this nation. You ought to get down on your hands and knees and thank God that you have this opportunity. But why do you live here while literally two-thirds of the world is starving to death and disease and and all kinds of things that are running rampant and communism and everything else in the other parts of the world where people are suffering unbelievable lives and you are living here complaining about, I don't have the next iPhone. Are y'all following me? Or somebody dissed you on the internet, didn't like your thing. And so, the Lord said to me, he said, the church has got to come out of its selfishness and come out of its self-absorption and be about itself and start to go out into a lost and dying world realizing the reason you're blessed is to be a blessing. The reason God prospers you is so you can share with other people that don't have so that you can give faithfully and liberally. And God said, I want you to give 20% of all that comes into the church out into missions for the rest of the life of this church. And he says, by the time you step aside completely, when you're gone, no longer even involved in the staff, you set a goal of $100 million to give out of this church. This year, we crossed over $75 million given out of this church. (laughs) Million. You and I get to participate in that. All of those things come, listen to me carefully, For not just hearing it, but doing it, obeying it. So I'm gonna wrap it up with this one thought and then you can pray and we'll go home. Here's what, here's what the Lord showed me. I'm sitting there in a, in a leadership meeting. This is 30 years ago. Listening to a pastor of the largest church in the world, Yoda Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea. His name is Dr. David Yonggi Cho. And he's talking to this this group of leaders, about 1,500 leaders, about leadership. His church at the time, this is back in 1989, his church at the time had 880,000 people in it. That would be pretty much all of Gwinnett County going to one church. And he has all these people, and he has 39 services. I've been to the church I've been to the early morning prayer at five o'clock in the morning with 9,000 people at five o'clock in the morning praying fervently for two hours every single day, 24, I mean, every single day, 365 days a year. You couldn't get nine people in Hamilton Mill to come out here at five o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Y'all all all right out here? I'm serious. We say, okay, we're gonna have prayer for the rest of our life as a church at five o'clock in the morning. How many of you would get up and come out here at five o'clock in the morning? But those Koreans, man, they're just going after God for two hours every single morning. It of like the revival. They have five churches in Seoul, Korea, over 100,000 people in them. They have an awakening of God in Korea that we've never seen in America. So they ask him, how did you do this? How did you create this incredible move of God? And here's what he said, very simple, very simple. He said, here's what I do, guys. Now listen carefully, write it down, take notes. Write this down. This is is life right here. I pray and I obey. I pray and then I hear God say something and then whatever he says, I obey it. What do you think Hamilton Mill would look like if we prayed every day and obeyed? Every day we prayed and we obeyed. God, what do you have for me this day? What do you want me to do? What are you speaking to me? What what, what direction am I to take? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to accomplish? What's the goal of life? Not God, bail me out, help me, I'm in trouble. God, what do you want from my life? And God, listen, I pray and I obey. No matter what the cost, No matter what it costs me, I obey you. I want you to bow your heads right now and close your eyes. And I want you to think about that one simple thought when you go out here. You won't remember most of my points, but I want you to remember that one. (sighs) What would life look like if you just left today with this one thought, I pray and I obey? Lord, I pray that over us as a church. If we get nothing else today, we just get that one simple thought. and we go home and we start to get about our life, we make you the highest priority, the highest pursuit. We invite you, Holy Spirit, into our lives to guide us and lead us, speak to us. Measuring everything you say by the word of God, and then Lord, Just whatever you say, whatever you say, whatever you say, we will do it. I pray that over this church right now, as we get ready to go into this Easter season, lots of people coming to Christ over the next few weeks. Just help us Lord, to be an obedient people. Help us to hear your voice No longer listen to the voice of a stranger. And just listen and then just obey it. Obey it. And I pray this over us today. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you.